Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, Auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Amy, there's a brand new podcast here on Earwolf called John Levenstein's Retirement Party. Uh, it's hosted by writer, actor, producer John Levenstein, who has worked on shows like Arrested Development and Silicon Valley. He also uh, had a very big part in The Kroll Show on Comedy Central, if you like that show. And it's a really cool show. Basically, they're celebrating his long career in show business as he shares personal stories from the writer's room and offers advice and rehashes old decisions, settles feuds, and tells his friends that he loves him. It's kind of like a positive Mark Marin. Uh, but he and his co-host, actress and writer Mary Kobayashi, talk with people from all over the entertainment industry like Karen Kilgariff, Nick Kroll, Jill Soloway, and David Harbour from Stranger Things. I love this because if people don't know John Levenstein's brain yeah. and you're like, oh, should I listen to this? I mean, the answer is yes. But also check out his Twitter because you know one of my favorite John Levenstein fun facts Wait. as somebody who obsessively follows him on Twitter and loves him. I think that he is responsible for getting Donald Trump to follow his uh, daughter, Tiffany Trump, on Twitter. Because he would tweet at him forever before Donald Trump was following Tiffany. Like, why aren't you following Tiffany? That's hilarious. It was just like an everyday thing. I find him absolutely hilarious. He's always surprising me. His sense of humor is just like... That's Chef's Kiss. And, and and he's been on the biggest shows, the most influential comedy shows. And this show is kind of like a must listen if you want to hear these stories firsthand. He didn't write a book, so you got to listen to it on the podcast. John Levenstein's Retirement Party is out now for free. You can subscribe in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. I think if you're a fan of comedy and wanting to hear those stories of those great writers' rooms, you will enjoy it. It's John Levenstein's Retirement Party. Check it out. The year is 2018, and we've watched 25 movies. This is the Listener Questions episode. Welcome to Unspooled. Unspooled. I am Paul Shear. I'm Amy Nicholson. And now normally on this show, we watch a film on the AFI's top 100 list and we talk about it. We dissect it. And this week it's a little bit different because we want to give you a chance to catch up with all the movies that we've been watching and give you a chance to ask some questions of us. And we are re-ranking the first 25 films that we watch. It's a, it's a big episode, Amy. It, it is. It is. That is. We're really... Marking down the API list, the Amy and Paul Institute. Yes, and you can follow along on the API Institute at unspooledpod.com. That's where we keep it living for all time, posterity. <laughs> we should really form an institute. I don't know what we would teach. We could just collect money. I mean, that's the most important thing. We can get figure out all the curriculum later. Make it like a Trump University. Just go, just get it, get the cash first. I object to that on so many ethical grounds. <laughs> the API Institute will be will be a noble institute of higher learning, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. I have to say one of the best parts of doing this show is seeing all the reactions that we get and interactions that we get with all of our listeners. And I just want to give a huge shout out to Kate Littleton, who started this small uh, Facebook listening group uh, for our show. And it's just grown exponentially. And they have just been 
a great support for us, along with our Twitter audience and the people on Reddit. Everyone's been kind of along with this journey. It's been really fun, and I feel like this week it's great to kind of literally talk to everyone on that board as they submit these questions. Yeah, I just want to give the biggest thank you to everybody. I mean, Kate has had to tap some new people who have volunteered to sign up as moderators, so thank you to you guys, and thank you to everybody who posts, even the people who make fun of me. That's fine. (laughs) That's fine. I can take it. Are you stalking, Amy? Are you stalking on the Facebook group? You know, I'm afraid to join just because I want to make sure people feel like they can say whatever they need to say. I feel the same way. I oftentimes just check in to see what the vibe is of the film, not to see what the vibe is of us. So if you don't like us, but you like the films, that is fine. We will not get in. Uh, we will not get in your pool. We will just lurk behind the chain link fence and stare at you. Yeah, that doesn't sound scary at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's start off with uh, kind of a general question. This one is from uh, Sethus McGurdy. And he goes, how did you two first meet each other? And what made you decide to work together and specifically do this particular podcast together? And what is the origin story of this show? Dun, dun, dun. A lot of questions. Uh, well, Amy, I think we met probably the first time in a real way when I did your podcast, right? Yeah, when you did The Canon. When I, I had a show called The Canon with yeah. a co-host. We went on hiatus. And when we came back, you were my first guest. We did Ghostbusters, where yes. we talked about whether or not that movie deserved to be in the canon of all-time classics. But I don't know if you remember this. When I had to put The Canon on hiatus, you emailed me that week. Oh, yeah. And sent me, like, sort of a nice, lovely email. And I think that was our first, like, one-on-one Email interaction, and it meant a lot to me that it was a rough week putting that show on hiatus. Yeah, I can imagine. And, well, I was a big fan of yours because I was one of the helpers of the launch of Wolf Pop, which was going to be the pop culture arm of the Earwolf Network that just kind of got folded into Earwolf. And I was listening to you do the canon, and I just was, I fell in love with the canon. So I felt like I knew you uh, before we even met. And so when this idea came up, which was very organic, I just happened to be passing a poster, like one of those novelty posters of the greatest films of all time. And I realized, oh, I hadn't seen a fair amount of those. And I was like, I want to challenge myself to see it. The only way I would complete that challenge would be by like actually like holding myself accountable. So that would be by doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, the, norm, the way that normal people do tasks. And, uh, and, I, and I couldn't think of a better host than you because not only are you funny, but you are so smart and you come at film from a very interesting perspective. I think, you know, as someone who does How Did This Get Made every week, there are movies that we do on there that you genuinely like and not ironically. And I love that about the way that you watch movies. You're not like a... You're not a snob. It's fun to talk movies with you. You love movies. Vampire Academy forever, man. I, mean, <laughs> I think the I, I have this very distinct memory before we met at all of watching the movie Rhinestone with my best friend Eva Faye uh-huh. and then pulling up your episode and being like, oh, and walking yeah. home because I can sometimes walk from her house. It takes like an hour. Okay. But walking home at night with you in my ear talking about Rhinestone, That's I've never amazing. told you that. Hi. No, you haven't. I love it. That's great. Well, we both listened to each other and then we got to do the show and it kind of was a pretty easy process. We do it together in person in LA. And uh, that's another question that someone asked. And we watch them separately. Like we don't really talk about what we're going to talk about before we sit down. No, we have our own research. And I was going to say, this is to uh, Nathan Robles question. It's a lot of hard work because I think we're taking notes on the movie. Then we're doing research on the movie and I want to up my A game. So I try to bring the best research I can to you and find interesting clips. And so I feel like it's, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like trying to one up each other in a, in a, in the most positive way you could like, Oh, did you know this? How about that? And the kind of, uh, sharing information, it kind of feels like a book club where we do a little extra research. Oh yeah. And can I just say like, yeah. not to sound like too like, Paul, you're the absolute Mm. greatest human on the planet. But I was a little worried when we started the show that it would be like, I had to be like, woman coming in with facts. Oh, really? I was. I was a little nervous. I would have to be like, rah, 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 like the teacher from Peanuts or something like that. And like, you have been such like a fucking brilliant, smart, awesome, equal partner in this that I really appreciate it. Well, I I love doing it. And uh, it's been so fun to actually learn about movies. And I feel like if anything... I've been like kind of uplifted by watching consistently good movies. I know we may say like, oh, High Noon doesn't belong on the list, but it's uh, it's a movie that is better than most movies that you see. It's so I, I think that's me, my by the way, High Noon. I know this is a very controversial opinion, but I, I do like just watching these movies. I think it makes me enjoy my week more. Yeah, and it has kind of been that thing where like, you know, if you're thinking about buying a car and then you start seeing that car everywhere. Yeah. 
that's how I feel about these movies. Even High Noon. Like, we watch High Noon, and then suddenly I see references to High Noon everywhere. It pops up I again. It makes too. it feel so alive. And uh, finally, uh, Spencer Keeman writes, you know, these movies are hard to find. Where do you go? And I would say, I don't think they are hard to find. <laughs> Put it into Google. They're pretty much all on YouTube. I mean, I have not yet found a movie that has been hard to find. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, they're all on YouTube. Yeah, I rent them on Google. I don't know what you do. I, I do it on iTunes, and uh, and it's kind of now counterbalancing all my horrible buying purchases for how did this get made. So. Like, who are you? We have an <laughs> algorithm. You're throwing us off, Paul. I've broken it all. Um, <laughs> all right, Amy, you pick a question. Todd Lawrence wants to know, if you could get all of us to watch one film, which one would it be? People who have listened to the canon have heard me rage about this movie before because okay. I think it's so good. But it's called Pennies from Heaven. Oh, yes. And it stars Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. And I think it is the most beautiful movie ever made. It's about a flawed protagonist and flawed women around him and reaching for something beautiful in your life and loving movies and loving media, loving songs, loving fantasy, but also living in the real world and how, how do you do it? How do you do it really badly? I just think it's the most applicable movie ever made to basically anybody's soul and it's got dancing and it's beautiful and you got Christopher Walken ripping off his shirt and having like fake tattoos on it I think this movie is so emotional and dreamlike and it takes you on this passion I could I like want to write essays and essays and books and books on just really? the editing of this movie I think this movie was sorely missed when it came out and if I could do one thing with my time here on earth as a critic it would be getting that movie appreciated wow I love that I absolutely love that I I feel like I fall into a very, like, staid response on this. You know, I grew up in the time of, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Goonies and Ghostbusters. And those are the movies that are so kind of influential to me. They kind of informed what I love about film. And so if I answer any of those, I feel bad. But I will say that Ghostbusters is a movie that I probably have watched the most out of any movie ever. Whenever I hear it's playing somewhere, I will go see it. I love seeing it with a crowd. And I think it may have hit me at a perfect time where it was a little bit scary. It was a lot funny. And it just felt like these are my favorite people in the world making a movie. It, there's something about that movie where it hit me that has just kind of cemented itself in me. So I'm going to stick with that, even though I could probably think of other movies that I think are underrated that I really, really love. But to me, I feel like that movie is such a hard thing to pull off, which is like fun sci-fi, really solid comedy, action adventure, handling all those things so deftly and not losing any of them is just, I don't know. It's so impressive. The The reveal of the Marshmallow Man is one of the, my favorite jokes of all time. It's so perfect for that movie. and It's so goofy. And in any other movie, it would have been so terribly done. So that's my answer. But I like that because it, it seems like what we're both talking about is like movies we love, love, love. But they also have something to teach us about how movies get made. They're also really great examples of craft. Yeah. Well, kind of related, Ryan Terry wants to know if you or I could appear in any movie on the list, which one would it be? All right. Well, let's keep it to, I think, the first 25 because I feel like that's who everybody who's been listening right now would feel familiar with that. Whew, this is a tough one. There's so many good ones here. Why do you go back? Are you interacting with the characters? Or are you just interacting with the world? Yeah, this is the one question that makes sure I don't say Titanic, huh? I well, would not survive that movie. I am so lazy. <laughs> I'm going to jump in and make a big swing and say Wizard of Oz. I, I feel like that world is so fanciful and beautiful and unique and special that I would love to not live in the Kansas City part. But the Wizard of Oz part, I think that would be uh, amazing to see a fully fleshed out world like that. But who do you think you'd be being? Do you think you'd be a munchkin? Do you think you'd be one of the people in the land of Oz? Oh, with, like, the I, oh I'd horse? have to be in it. Where do you fit? Do you want to be under the tyrant? Of I would like to be the Wizard of Oz. I would like to be the guy who is behind the machine. You know, he made great and powerful Oz. I, I could be the great and powerful Oz. I think that would be what I would do. Well, I, I, you're picking yeah. not just being in the world, but being in charge of the world. I just want to flag that. You're not just being like an average citizen of Oz. Oh, you want me to be? Well, look, then I'll be the person who leads the horses in. Uh, <laughs> no, I thought we had to, I think, uh, I think I'd be a good munchkin. I'd be a good munchkin or a flying monkey. What about you? I don't know. I, 
I was thinking Wizard of Oz, but I am worried that, like, maybe I would wind up being a monkey. Like, who knows what you would get reincarnated as if you had to appear in a monkey. Oh, well, like now you're, p- you're putting a fate in it now. This is a real <laughs> – I think this is much higher pay grade than Ryan, Ryan Terry wanted. He just wanted to be like, oh, I like the uh, the river in uh, Apocalypse Now. I'd like to be in that boat, you know. Well, if he wants to be in that boat, Ryan Terry, I'm worried about you. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I, I don't know. I have any control over who I'd be, I feel like, if I would appear in this. I want to play fair – so with that in mind, weirdly, I think I might say 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ooh. Because I'm just curious and I want to know what, what happens next. I want to see the future. Okay. It seems like even if I'm stuck being like an airline stewardess, that'd still be pretty cool. Oh, by I the way. I could be like a, a space stewardess. Number two on my list was 2001 in my mind because it's like these are the two most fanciful worlds of the films that we've done that just feel so foreign to me and so enticing to look at that I feel like I want to be in both. And I think that's why you see people like flocking to the Stanley Kubrick exhibits where they recreated the hotel room from 2001. People just want to be in that space. What would it be like? Yeah, I also want to eat all that space food. Oh, yeah. I'm curious about all of it. Although I had this space borscht once that I got in Russia. It was not good. No, I can't imagine. That sounds terrible. Well, Matt Underwood asks a question that happens to be asked us all the time. Will we ever do an episode comparing the 19, he wrote 98, but I think it's 97 list, and the 2007 list? And the answer to that, I always say, is we will see. Uh, I mean, I, I would love to watch what they kicked off the list. I would hope that by the time we finish this podcast, there's a new list. Uh, so then maybe we can compare all three. But Yeah, because uh, I, sh- I figure the show's going to take two years, so who knows? But, I mean... Honestly, I would be game. We've never really talked about this. I'd be game to watch some of the stuff that got kicked off and then oh. like assemble our new 100 because there's a lot of stuff on there I want to talk about. Absolutely. And I would imagine a lot of stuff will get kicked off on this list when it's redone who knows when. But um, I love chaos. Yeah, I know. And and the rankings are, are very interesting and volatile. I think we're going to see a very big change in this list on the next release of it. I really think so, too, because I think what we've been talking about as a culture about what makes a film important has yeah. changed so much in the last 10 years than it did in the 10 years before these two films. Well, look at this. Um, in 2007, The General uh, essentially pops onto the list. The General is one of the oldest films we've done, and it comes on in 2007. So, like, if you're thinking about that, like, oh, wow, Buster Keaton's getting his due in 2007 but didn't get it in the first list, that's Pretty mind-blowing, actually. I mean, we should figure out, like, I have no idea when they're ever going to come out with a new list, but what if we secretly wrote down things we think might happen as, like, a time capsule and then gave them to to producer Josh to hold? Well, I think... What if we made, like, 10 predictions? But I think we actually are doing that a little bit on our website at unspooledpod.com where we are posting movies that we want on the list. So I think that's a little bit, but maybe we should start running a pool for what we think will get bumped off. I like that a lot. Let's do it. Darkness. I love it. Murder and chaos on the list. Yeah, and this is a good question from Kip. Like, why haven't they updated it yet? I mean, we don't know. We have no information. It seems like it should be every 10 years because so much changes in 10 years. But uh, it feels like someone's, like, asleep at the wheel. Uh, Like, the AFI at one point, I love the AFI, but they made, like, too many lists. It's like, the best villains, the best thrills and kills, like, the best comment. I'm like, I don't need this many lists, man. Like, just let's stick with one list. And just do it right. Like, like I heard a whole thing that like Hans Gruber is a number 43 on the 50 best villains list, but John McClane isn't on the best heroes list, which is an interesting thing. Like, but why are we making lists about the characters in these things? Let's just make lists about the movies. It's, well, yeah. And we have like the top 100 horror films. Some of the top 10 of that list aren't even in the top 100. It's like, what's happening? Yeah. And everything's getting delineated in the strangest way. AFI, get back to work. So, related to that, Bob Book wants to know, how much of the list do you think are just, quote-unquote, time capsule selections? Like, not the best films, but important to make sure people will watch. Using, say, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, or the Mm -hmm. Marx Brothers for an example. I think that's definitely a factor, 100%. And I I don't think it's a a bad factor, really. I I like the idea of a list that functions like an arc. Yes. Like, we do need the aardvark on here. I don't know why. It makes no sense. But we should know that it, it existed. Well, I totally agree. But I think what we're finding a lot in this list is it's not the best version of it. It's the most popular or the 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 version that's in pop culture the most. You know, so, you know, we talked about this on African Queen a little bit. Like, is that the best, you know, collaboration between Humphrey Bogart and John Huston? Is that the best representation of this kind of romantic buddy comedy? 
And I think you can find other films that fit that better. Swing Time as well. And I feel like as we come across movies, we're like, oh, but isn't there a better version of this? It's true, but I do feel really torn. Like, I'm worried that if you take Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire off the list at all, mm-hmm. will they be forgotten? No, and I'm I'm not advocating for that. I believe there should be a Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire on the list. I believe there should be a Marx Brothers on the list. Maybe a better way to find the best one, not the one that I think is just like, oh, yeah, that's the one. Like You know, like Swing Time. So many people disagreed with that as being the best collaboration of those two. Right, people want a top hat, which is so much better. I think the gay divorcee is awesome, even better than that. So it's like, why did Swing Time get on that list? I want to know. Like when I want to know, you right. I got to know. And so that's <laughs> the thing that I think I would love to see. But it is true that sort of accepted wisdom. Like yeah. I would feel bad not checking Duck Soup. So of right. course I must check Duck Soup. Right. Which kind of makes me think about this next question here from Brandon Wall. He says, if directors could only have one pick each on the AFI list, Ooh. which sole film would each of you pick? And he gives a list of directors. Steven Spielberg is one of the ones that pops out. Because this, not not necessarily Spielberg from what I'm about to say next, but this idea of the arc, I think, makes me go hard on, like, the war movies, the dudes on a boat movies, the gangster movies, because they're taking up so much of the arc. Well, that's what I think would be a great addition to this list. You can only get one film as a director. We're talking about 100 films over such a long period of time. That means that we're actually opening up our knowledge by allowing more films in it's just saying this is what this is the starter kit this is the starter kit to your life it's not saying that steven spielberg only made one good movie it's just saying that only one's allowed in it's true because like if we're gonna say top hat is your gateway drug to ginger Rogers fred astaire cool figure scorsese gateway drug that'll represent oh if you like this movie go check everything else out right you don't have to like just represent all the greatest work. I think that that's, you know, maybe that's what this list should hold. I think that's what I'm looking for in this list. Like, can you show me a more diverse list that has a little bit of everything? I'm looking for the salad bar version of it. I'm not looking for like five great beet salads. Like I know that that beet salad is good and so is that one, but I don't need five selections of beet salad. Give me a little baby corn. Give me some jalapenos. Yeah, like I don't know if any AFI voters are listening to this, but I would love to see if we could get When Harry Met Sally on the list. Oh, I... I think it's got to be there. 100%. I mean, but we're talking about a list that doesn't even have a Coen Brothers movie on there, right? Yeah, because Fargo was up and then off. Yeah, which is a crazy thing. You know, when you think about their impact in culture as filmmakers, like they belong on this list. Um, but let's play this game with Steven Spielberg. Cause I think that this is a good section. If you could only pick one Spielberg film to go on the list, what would it be? I think I'd pick Jaws. It's a good choice. And I think, I think I'd pick E.T. Yeah. I think, I think I would pick E.T. because I feel like, you know, look, they're all good, but that one kind of, I think sums up a lot of elements of what Steven Spielberg does. Yeah, like I feel as much as I enjoy Raiders a mm-hmm. lot, I think Raiders is too self-referential. Mm-hmm. So if we have to kick one off, I'd rather like kick Raiders off and put Robin Hood was a suggestion I saw somebody write recently. Oh, I love the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. Yeah. I'd rather put that up there. I thought uh, you were going to say the Kevin Costner one. You know, good soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll do it for you. Oh, such a good song. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd mix it up a little bit. I'd mix it up. I'd say Jaws just because, you know, we when we talk a lot about, like, the impact that films have on culture, Jaws really bringing this, like, huge summer box office thriller thing yeah. back. Also, I'm just a sucker for shark attack movies, so Jaws is important to me. <laughs> uh, I mean, E.T. is sort of a gateway also to, like, 80s giant kids movies. It's tough, um, but I think I'd still go Jaws. Well, just as we're going to finish up this conversation, I want to jump into Sergio Zamora's question, which he just says, like, how do you think we should be viewing this list? Like, are we looking at it on artistic merit, historical merit, innovation, entertainment value, rewatchability? Because I feel like there are certain films in this list. It's weird. There's certain movies in this list where I'm like, well, that should be there for purely innovation. Like you can't argue that at a, the innovation is the key to that one. But on this one, it's enjoyability is the key. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Different films kind of pop in different ways for me. It's really true. And also, really quick, Charlie Chab wants to know what film are you most looking forward to covering and why? And if I could squeeze one in, I can't wait till we get to Sullivan's Travels. Oh, that's one of my favorite. I mean, I, I love Preston Sturges, and that was a kind of a my first foray into, like, an appreciation for older films and uh, aces. He's aces. <laughs> I'll tell you the one movie I'm actually really looking forward to is a movie called The Best Years of Our Lives – I've never heard of this movie, ever. Like, I can at least tell you that every movie on this list I've heard of, this one, I don't know 
anything about it at all. So I'm like, like African Queen, I knew a little bit about like who was in it, what it was roughly, the hat, the scruff, but I didn't know, I don't know anything about this movie. I, I haven't even heard that title. So from uh, that standpoint, I'm fascinated. Do you want to know one thing about it? Yeah, sure. The actor in there, yeah. or the, one of the main actors, does not have hands in real life. So what? they cast him because he has claw hands. No, no, no. Whoa, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. Claw I'm hands a, coming at us. Whenever the die decides. You know, actually, uh, this brings us into a question by Casey Gerard, who just says, you know, there's clearly a lack of female-directed films here and uh, films directed by people of color, you know, and it seems like in the recent years, there's been a boom of these films, uh, you know, and so they wouldn't have been eligible for the 2007 list. Are there films that could have been eligible for the list that we're doing now of, you know, directed by uh, people of color or women that we would have put on? Now, I would say, just off the top of my head, I'm just going to jump in and say Robert Townsend made this movie called Hollywood Shuffle. And it was this kind of really interesting independent movie uh, about being black in Hollywood in the 80s. And it's definitely a more comedic movie, but it's one of these independent films that you don't often hear about. You hear about like Robert Rodriguez, uh, you know, doing uh, El Mariachi. But I feel like Robert Townsend's movie gets a little bit swept away, I think maybe because it's purely comedic, but I, I don't know. It's one of the movies that I think about often because it affected me when I saw it as a kid. It was like, wow, it's, it seemed like a really original voice making this movie. And I just followed his career from there on in. And I just thought that was a movie that was a real breakthrough uh, kind of film. Do you ever see that movie? I've never seen that movie, no. I think you would like it. I think I would like it from the way you're describing it. I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I the first names that pop to my mind, we talked a little bit about Fast Times at Ridgemont High before, which I think is just such a great, like, wonderful coming-of-age movie. Yeah. I think it's just so honest, and I think it's really beautiful, and I think it's, like, so mature already for its age. I think it's the best 80s teen movie out of all of them, honestly. Oh, yeah. I think it's better than John Hughes movies, to be honest. I wow. think Fast Times is just really, 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 really terrific. And then I'm kind of curious. This is what I've been kicking around in my head, but A League of Their Own. Mm -hmm. Penny Marshall's League of Their Own. I think that is one of the greatest sports movies ever made. Really? And yeah. I I just think it's so well done. I think it's so smart. I think it also has such like a good sense of place of 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 World War Two, of the economy, of like women being left alone, uh, of having to kind of be the culture themselves. I think there's so much going on in that film that doesn't really get recognized. Madonna's great in that movie, by the way. Yeah. Everybody's great in that movie. I think the cast is terrific. I think Gina Davis is such a really awesome figure. I would love to see that movie just kind of at least be in the conversation because I feel like we get, you know, your sports movies are on the list, but yeah. that one is really special to me. It's fun because I haven't seen that movie in such a long time, and I, I think I would like to go back and watch it. There's no reason why I haven't seen it. Uh, maybe baseball is not my thing, but I remember it being great. That's a great that's a great one. That's Penny Marshall, too, who I think is, you know, someone who really was at the forefront of being this really – amazing woman in film at a time when there were very few. It's true. I actually watched that movie uh, on a baseball field a couple of summers oh, ago. Oh, really? At the Gina Davis Walmart Film Festival of Feminism. And then they did like an exhibition league of their own softball game and Lori Petty was there. It was like a whole deal. I was very excited. Oh, wow. Um, well, let me ask you a question. Like, if we go to this list, do you think that someone like uh, Patty Jenkins would get on for Wonder Woman? And I know this is like, you know, it's a hotter topic because it's a newer movie, but I think... The way that she broke through with that movie and kind of everyone's like, oh, you can make a movie like she revolutionized a type of film that has been for the last decade kind of just churning out the same kind of stuff. And obviously she's made monster. She's a very talented director in many respects. But is that a movie that breaks through as, as something more recent, uh, you know, maybe not reflective of, you know, is it as good as monster? I don't know. But is it more important because of what it signaled? That is an interesting question because right when you started to talk about her, my first thought was Monster is so much better. Right, like, Monster right. is so good. Monster is incredible. To me, like the biggest triumph of Wonder Woman is that a very mediocre superhero movie made a ton of money, like all the rest of right. them. Like it almost was treated kind of the same way. And right, right, right. And it was great and it was important and it felt like a lesson people needed to learn and I hope they remember because I feel like Hollywood keeps learning this lesson that women-led that women -led movies – 
do make a ton of money and then they forget like 12 months oh, yeah. later. It's the difference between like Sex and the City. Oh, that won't be a big box office hit. It's huge. And then when Girls Trip comes out, everyone under, underestimates it and it's huge. You know, it's like it's there's so many times where it's like if you make good content, people will show up and see the movie. Yeah. Although when I really look at my heart, if Wonder Woman is on this list, I would roll my eyes. Really? Yeah. Well, I think you have an issue with any superhero movie being on this list. Am I right? Well, I don't think many of them have been good enough. Really? <laughs> All right. So, because, but this is like goes to our point about I'm not like the superhero guy, but in a list of 100 greatest films, do you go, well, we got to put Iron Man on there because Iron Man starts this whole movement of what essentially cinema is becoming the same way the searchers or, you know, high noon is on there representing Westerns. Do we need to represent a genre of film? You know, do we go back to Sam Raimi or do we say, no, no, we'll put infinity war there because infinity war is the culmination of, you know, this genre of film, you know, for this point, I don't know. You are brilliantly using my argument against me. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, could I be like, can we go back to at least Tim Burton's Batman? I don't know. Or you know what? Richard Donner's Superman. I think that movie is beautiful. A hundred percent. I just think it's interesting to say, yeah. Um, Danny Dale Lane writes this to me or to you, to us, that a comedy isn't really represented in the AFI top 100. And that, I think I really noticed when watching Duck Soup, I was like, Oh my goodness, it's rare that there is just a comedy on that list. And and I would ask you, what are your, some of your favorite comedies? And, and we're not going to hold you to it because we're just asking it right now. I could start off with one and just say that, you know, The Jerk is something that I would feel like is one of a great classic comedy, Steve Martin's The Jerk. I know you liked him in that, but no. That's true. I mean, if we're not saying like things that are our top comedies that we feel like we would want to take a stand and say have to go on the list, then I would say Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I love that movie, but I I don't know if I could with a straight face be like, yes, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is sadly overlooked on the Uh, AFI Top 100. It's a hard one to pick because I think comedies actually represent the time a lot. You know, like in a weird way, you have to say like what's had the most longevity you know is it something like well groundhog day i feel like that would be that should be on this list i I think you would be hard pressed to find anyone that would argue against groundhog day being on the best hundred films of all time i feel like it fits in kind of perfectly it's a moralistic tale let's say you could put that on and everyone will agree that they love groundhog's day that's true i think groundhog's day is a much easier sell than something i personally really love a lot like clueless Mm, which i would love to see but i think groundhog day at least has that sort of more gravitas yes but yeah, comedies are underrepresented. Holden Martinson points out that like animated films and documentaries are not really. I mean, we have there are some animated films on here, but not yeah. really. Documentaries are not allowed. I think the new one would be. I mean, Pixar. I think would definitely come into this list hard in the next round, a hundred percent. Yeah, maybe too hard. Maybe they'd be like overcompensatingly hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to the documentary point, so many of my favorite films are documentaries, and so many of my favorite female filmmakers make documentaries, like yeah. Penelope Spears making The Decline of Western Civilization. I think Part Two is my favorite one because it gets more into like economics and also hairspray. But yeah, like, because what I, what I think is so hard also about the question of, like, putting more underrepresented voices on this list is that women have not really gotten to make so many of, like, the bigger budget films that get recognized. Right. And so it does make it hard. And and I don't really like a lot of Catherine Bigelow's, like, movies that try to, like, elbow into that conversation. And it's, it's like, kind of sad. It's not, It's kind of sad. No, I, I, I feel like, look, AFI is certainly making a lot of lists. I'm sure they have a AFI's best documentaries list. But what's the one that kind of stands out? And it is hard. There's been so many. I think Errol Morris would definitely get on the list for, I don't know for what. Yeah, I don't know for what, because I love so many of his Me films. Me too. I and love Fast Cheap, and I love I th- Gates of Heaven was just, like his big one. Vernon, Florida is maybe my personal favorite. Other people yeah. would say Thin Blue Line is like where he broke out. Or would you put in one of his more like modern war documentaries? Like he's his, he's so all over the board. And he kind of revolutionized the way that these stories are told. I think the way that Errol Morris kind of captured life is something that a lot of people have imitated. And, you know, in the same way we talk about directors, like being influenced, I think he is, for that point, you would want to put him on the list just to be like, that's someone who is making film. That that film is as worthy as anything dramatic or anything, you know, written. Yeah, exactly. And even stuff like Grey Gardens, which has turned out oh, to yeah. have such a huge the Maisels, footprint yeah. by the Maisels, to be, you know, 
both a documentary and then to sort of have these different documentary quasi-style spinoffs that happen and then to be, like, turned into a fiction film and then a play. Like, it is a movie with, like, as many legs, longer legs than a lot of the stuff on the list. Yeah, absolutely. So Vinny Romero asks uh, a question about How Did This Get Made, which is the other podcast that I do. He says, if there's one How Did This Get Made movie, what would you put on the AFI list? And obviously... You know, then we're we're really bending and flexing this list if we're saying, like, one of the worst films of all time has to be on it. But I think it's an easy answer, and it's actually a movie in which Amy and I have discussed at length, which I would say The Room would belong on your top list of movies because it is, to me, something that captures a gigantic range of bad films, uh, but it's the best done bad version of that film. I mean, look, we're, we're, I'm not I'm not arguing for the room to be on the AFI list. This is the question because that was I'm put to me. Because I'm giving you a look. Yeah, but this is the question <laughs> that is put to me. This is the question that is put to me. And I would answer to say that if you were talking about, well, if you have to represent everything, would you represent one of the worst movies of all time? And I would say yes in the sense that, and when we talked about it, it is so uniquely different and i know it's an overused expression but it is the citizen kane of bad movies it for everything innovative that citizen kane did this movie also is so innovative in there's nothing like it there is hands down nothing like it there are movies that are close there are movies that that uh are are way worse you know look that's the question that was asked of me and and i i felt that answered it i mean it is singular yes i will give you that it is a singular achievement I, and, you know, the arc does have room for some sort of monstrosity like the platypus. Here. Well, but we're talking about these movies. The Room, Plan 9 from Outer Space is another one where people just talk about it all the time. It It is in the pantheon of how you speak of movies. It's like we to know what is good, we must know what is bad. So we have to we have to set some limits. Um, well, Sam Evans says, will you own up and just say you personally believe Scorsese to be tremendously overrated? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you go, Amy. Uh, I'm going to jump right in. And Tracy Lee Brown writes, do you agree that 1939 was the greatest year for films? If not, what year would you pick? And now I already know my answer to this. I believe the year 1984 was the best year for films. I'm going to tell you why. Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom, Beverly Hills Cop, Karate Kid, Terminator, Nightmare on Elm Street, Red Dawn, Amadeus, Wrath of oh, Searcher Spock, Last Starfighter, Top Secret, Romancing the Stone, Footloose, Sixteen Candles, The Natural, Police Academy, Spinal Tap, Conan the Destroyer, Once Upon a Time in America, The Neverending Story, Splash, Firestarter, Dreamscape, Cannonball Run 2, The Muppets Take Manhattan, and Repo Man, Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, what else do I have to say? Dirty Harry Tightrope? Sure. Breaking? You got it. I mean, this year is... Oh, also, Blood Simple, no big whoop. Cloak and Dagger, yeah, it got released. Johnny Dangerously, yeah. Paris, Texas, you got it. I mean, that, the Killing Fields, 84 is the year. Um, and just to give you context, 1939 is the year that The Wizard of Oz comes out, Gone with the Wind, Stagecoach, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, Nakachka, uh, Weathering Heights comes out. Also, you get um, Destry Rides Again, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Gunga Din. Uh, you know, some good ones there. I don't think it beats uh, 1984. Yeah, well, that is a that is a great year. There's really only maybe one other year that I think holds up to it. All right. I know it'll be controversial because it's more modern, but 1999. Ooh, okay. 1999 is just a phenomenal year. I'm just going to throw a bunch of titles at you. Are you ready All for right, this? I'm ready for it. You got your Girl Interrupted. You got your Talented Mr. Ripley. You got your Magnolia, your Election, a movie I deeply love. You got mm-hmm. your Sixth Sense. You got Fight Club. You got Man on the Moon. You got Toy Story 2. You got Three Kings. You got Boys Don't Cry. You got Office Space. You got all these things. You got Blair Witch Project. You got, uh being John Malkovich, a movie I adore. Yeah. The Matrix, of course. You got Cruel Intentions. You got this Julia Roberts double feature. You got your Notting Hill, your Runaway Bride. Ugh, you've got American Pie, even. American Pie. Special, special movie. Did I say Jawbreaker already? I love Jawbreaker. You even got a David Lynch movie that's not bad. Well, the Amy, you didn't mention the biggest one. That's the biggest one. Phantom Menace. Oh, well, I was talking about good movies. I was talking about good movies. <laughs> 
But that year is just phenomenal. I think that's like a changing of the guard year. Uh, where you 100%. see like people just be like, we are here and we're going to dominate. And I think some of the people on that list have now dominated too long, but whatever, it's fine. Iron Giant is also that year, which uh, is a great uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah Iron great Giant. Animated. Yeah, it's a good animation year. So it's, it's uh, yeah, that is a good year. It's a good, I would say they're pretty good. Uh, I'll let the listeners decide what year is better. Um, Amy, I want to ask you another question. What are your favorite books about movies? Ooh, that's tough. I'm a You're a writer of books about movies. I've written one, and I want to do a second mm. one that I've been researching way too long and losing my mind about. Space dogs? <laughs> I would love to do a yeah. book on all the different star dogs. I went when I was in Moscow last summer, uh-huh. or two summers ago, whenever the hell it was, and I visited the stuffed taxidermy corpses of Belka and Strelka. Wow. But yeah, famous dogs would be good. But, um, you know, I love celebrity autobiographies. That's mm. one of my favorite genres, just picking up a book of someone you don't even know that much about or someone you've always wanted to know about. I read this Veronica Lake autobiography, Sullivan's Travels, Okay. randomly. And when you read a celebrity autobiography, it just, like, blows your mind. You just learn so much about the time period. I find them weirdly uplifting because you mm. get this whole arc of a life. Yeah. You know, because you really go with them on this journey of ups and downs. And Hollywood lives have so many ups and downs. And usually they go down and then they come back up. Veronica Lake doesn't come back up. She stays down. But Esther Williams, the swimming, the musical swimming movie star, the synchronized swimmer, her autobiography is incredible. And also, I've been reading this uh, autobiography by Adela Rogers St. John. She's one of the big gossip uh-huh. columnists. It's insane, by the way. Like, the whole book is written like this fever dream of like, oh, my God, this one celebrity came up and was like, orgy. And I was like, okay, it's nuts. Wow. But just all of these people make Hollywood feel alive. I so love to me, it. that's my favorite thing. Well, I will say that, you know, making Hollywood come alive, I'll go back to one of our past guests, uh, Karina Longworth, who her podcast, you know, you must remember this, really goes deep into these great Hollywood stories. And I feel like I get my thrill of the celebrity autobiography through her, listening to her to that research. They are like these fully fleshed out stories. But um, I have three books that I really recommend to a lot of people. And I think it's more on the side of, making things that I think these books are really invaluable. In the Blink of an Eye, which is this book that we talked about a little while ago, it's Walter Murch. He's a famous uh, film editor. And he writes a book about editing, but it, it it's way more interesting than that. It just talks about the power of editing and and what it does. And, and I think when you've made stuff and I've made a handful of things, you spend a lot of time in the edit room. And this book really helped uh, articulate feelings that I've had and helped me approach things in a different way. And it's just a great tool. Uh, Additionally, another amazing tool is this book that John Badham had written. um, And it is called uh, On Directing. It's a great book. He directed Bird on a Wire and a million other movies. Uh, But it's uh, Saturday Night Fever is one of his films as well. Um, He just breaks down directing into some very key points. And there are certain things in that book that he says I read this book before I started directing. I'd been directed a lot. I had created a show, but I'd never actually directed. And and he taught me so many instrumental things in that book that I still carry with me and think about to this day. And then finally, I think one of the first books I ever really read about filmmaking that's not a biography is that Sidney Lumet book, uh, Making Movies. Which oh, is the, I was just about to say that if you didn't say that. Yeah. It's a great book. It's a great book about movies. It's a great book about making movies and thinking about movies. I love it. I think about that book all the time. I think about how Sydney talks about movies where he decided to show the ceiling in a in a shot. Yeah. Movies where he decided never to show the ceiling in a shot. He uses that amazing example in the book that I think about all the time about what true silence is in a film where he was shooting a scene and um, the person was like, his producer was like, well, there should be zero silence there. Like it should be just absolute like tomb-like, like us yeah. right now with our headphones on our ears, silence. And he was like, no, I want to add the buzzing of a fly. Because when you hear a fly, then that is true si- silence. Oh, wow. And it was this galaxy brain moment that just blew my brain open. I love it. So those are some great books. And then also, if you ever want to pick up uh, Cameron Crowe's book with Billy Wilder, if you're a Billy Wilder fan, it's a great read. Um, but it's just a really a lot of just sitting down and interviewing him. And there's all those great books like, uh, you know, where like you just have these compilations of interviews. Like there's a Hitchcock book, I believe, where he goes through every movie. And it's a great companion piece. Yeah, he does that with Truffaut, Hitchcock Truffaut. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, Paul. Well, Garrett Wakona wants to know, Amy and Paul, what is the best movie theater snack, food, or drink? Ooh, I got mine ready to go. 
What is it? Go on. Well, first of all, my new favorite is having one of those Coca-Cola freestyle machines. I don't drink soda normally, but when a theater has one, and especially the AMC, they got them, uh, have one, I'm like, yeah, motherfucker. I, I will drop in some carbonated soda and then just different flavors, make my own little mix. The freestyle machine is my life. I love it. My dream is to have an office where I have the freestyle machine in there, ready to go. So that's my favorite beverage. And that's somebody who does not drink soda on the reg. Well, Just, Paul, we yeah. do the same thing. Really? Yeah. I only get a soda if there's a freestyle machine because I do like full on club soda yeah. all the way up. I get Me- so excited to have like a giant yes. cold frosty thing of club soda. It's the greatest. And I just, what I do is I just put a little like kiss of Fanta at the top. Give me a little little flavor. Just a little <laughs> flavor. Uh, and then I'm an East Coaster, and Twizzlers have been my snack what? from the beginning. Twizzlers are my snack. Paul. Amy, we are the same person. What is God happening? God damn it. That's crazy. Like when I'm feeling really, really decadent, yeah. I'll go popcorn with raisinets in the popcorn. Oh, nice. Okay. But I'm usually like, if anything, a Twizzler Club soda person. This is- This is it. I'm this shocked. Is, this is why we are doing this podcast. Well, we can't top that as far as questions, but we saved one- for last, and this is uh, Kate Littleton, who started this entire uh, group where all these questions came from. Uh, Kate has a question for us. Kate would like to know, 100 years from now, someone on a ghost tour claims you are haunting a location. What location do you want to be said to haunt? Well, I think for irony factor, I'd like to haunt the uh, the firehouse from Ghostbusters. I think that would be pretty <laughs> great. Like, why not? Like, we should definitely have more ghosts in that firehouse. I mean, if you're not, you're doing it wrong. I mean... I mean, yeah, I would definitely go through the the ghost ones first. Wow. I mean, I am nosy. Mm -hmm. I'm very nosy. So I would probably do like the Roosevelt Hotel right here. I would want to be in a place. I'm restless. You know, I would want to be in like a place where I could like go up and down the stairs, look in on different people doing whatever. I like that. Yeah, I'd have to be. And I'd want to be in a place where I think there might be other ghosts to hang out with. I like that, too. You know, I mean, this is maybe a sad one to say, but I'd also say I'd like to haunt like an old studio, like Paramount or Universal. Like, so you're like, you're there and you're getting to see people come in and out, new people, different things. And you get to, you know, still be around all this great movie stuff, but it always Yeah. You know, a studio would actually be maybe more cool because if there's cameras, you could do evil shit. Like you could like knock over a paint can and people be like, was that when the ghost of Paul Shear was there? People could argue about it on Reddit nonstop. It'd be amazing. Also be kind of cool to be in a place where you were like, at least for me speaking, like a lesser ghost mm. where they would list off Marilyn and like whoever before <laughs> they get to you. Because then if people aren't even that aware you're there, you could even pull some worst shit on people. I love it. I love it. I think we've, we've <laughs> answered it. I hope that answered your question, Kate. All right, Amy, it comes down to this. Um, we've watched 25 movies separately. We've ranked them. Uh, now we are going to read our list without comment to each other. Our top 25. We're going to go back and forth. And Josh, our amazing producer, who's been kind of putting this whole thing together uh, since day one, is aggregated our list together. He knows what we both have put down. And that will be our official top 25 list. We may have to argue about a couple, but that will be our official, official list. Uh, Are we ready? I'm nervous. Should we tell people that we are drinking the leftover last bits of the fig whiskey that we adore so much from Guy from our Raiders of the Lost Ark episode. Guy, I, I want you to bottle this and sell it because it's the best thing I've ever had. Um, so who's going to go first? Do you want to rock, paper, scissors? I'll go first. Okay. I'll go first. Should we start from, from 25 up to one? Yeah. Okay. Ben-Hur, bottom of my list. French Connection. Okay. High Noon. Platoon. French Connection. Shawshank. Shawshank. Six cents. Bonnie and Clyde. What? Oh, um, okay, Ben Hur. <laughs> African Queen. Apocalypse Now. Swing Time. Swing Time. Ah. <laughs> Platoon. High Noon. Are you rhyming on both of those? I, oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, the serious business. Lord of the Rings. African Queen. The General. The General. Hmm. Okay. Six cents. Taxi Driver. Apocalypse Now. Double Indemnity. Titanic. Lord of the Rings. Duck Soup. E.T. Psycho. Duck Soup. Taxi Driver. Raiders. King Kong. King Kong. Hey! Hey! E.T. Psycho. Singing in the Rain. Bonnie and Clyde. Oh! Double Indemnity. (laughs) Singing in the Rain. All That Eve. 2001. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Titanic. The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Ah! 2001. All About Eve. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. 
Wow, <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. And actually, in reading this list, I believe that um, I put Raiders too high. Yeah, you put Raiders at number four. I put it at 10. I, I would have dropped it now. And looking at that list, I, I would have dropped it. I, I don't know why I put it that high. It may have just been when I did it. You put Bonnie and Clyde at number 21. I don't know why. I Again, there has just been some moment, you know, I was in the flow. I was just letting it go and I was just building it, uh, you know. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, all right. So Josh took our lists, put them together, and created a master list of the top 25. Uh, basically, they, he took the average ranks from our individual lists. And, you know, for example, All About Eve in 2001 both received a 2 and a 5 on the chart ranking. So the average rank of these two films is a 3.5. Meanwhile, Wizard of Oz received a 3 from both Amy and Paul. So the average rank is a 3. So it's above Eve, making it the second highest ranked film overall. That's kind of where it goes. So... Uh, right now, there are four ties on our list. So uh, the first tie is, what is higher, All About Eve or 2001, A Space Odyssey? This is jockeying for the third and fourth spot. All About Eve or 2001, A Space Odyssey. I want to go All About Eve. Mm-hmm. I would like to go All About yeah. Eve. And I, I think All About Eve is absolutely flawless yeah. and absolutely perfect in every single way. Although I get the 2001 also comes in with more ambition, mm-hmm. more like, here's how the future works, more bets at places that it does correctly mm-hmm. I think this one's tough I I agree and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why I put 2001 number two on my list because I felt like it really was as important as Citizen Kane as far as what it did for filmmaking and the influence that it had I cannot disagree with anything you said about all about Eve I think it's a great film I think it belongs in that top five in that top four, whatever. It just, it's great. But I think 2001 overall is a movie that you can see why it affected such a wide range of people, touched a lot of people. You know what? I'll go with it. I'll go with it. So then that means we'd be ranking this Citizen Kane 1, Wizard of Oz 2, 2001 3, and All About Eve 4. Yes. Okay. All right. Now tied, this is great. Tied for number 10. Uh, it would be E.T. or Double Indemnity. This is, an, this is an interesting one because right off the bat here, I don't have a strong feeling towards either one as far as what should go above it. I think they're both really good films for what they do in the genre. Uh, you know, I'd argue that probably more people are familiar with E.T. over Double Indemnity, but Double Indemnity is one of the best film noirs there has ever been. Is E.T. the best children's movie there has ever been or a space film? You could make an argument. It's true. I mean, when I ranked these, I put E.T. above Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. but not by much. Like, okay. very slightly. Very, very slightly. I, oh, it's it's hard because we need a noir out there. We need a noir yeah. out there. But E.T. might be our best example of, like, a big 80s childhood blockbuster, period. Right. I don't know anything else I'd put up there higher than it. Well, I uh, mean, well, right I guess now, Raiders, but I don't Raiders, know if Raiders is yeah. like, yeah. I've, I think Raiders is going to fall for me as we get further into it. I think mm-hmm. I may have made this list right after we had watched Raiders. I think it was on that high from from Raiders. You got that Raiders high, man? I did, because contact Raiders high. I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, we're really, we're, I'm really kicking myself because I feel really solid about everything else on that list. Although we both did have it high. You ranked yeah. it four, and I ranked it ten. Okay, so we were in the, we're in the right ballpark. I mean, we only watched 25 movies. It's not the full 100, so... <laughs> uh, all right, let's just make What a- if we're like the AFI? What if we put like Raiders at like 20 on the next list? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will drop. I think our top threes will stay, or fours. Um, no, we're really realizing we're having empathy now for I how know, hard we're it is seeing. to do something like this. Okay, I'm going to say that E.T. stays above Double Indemnity. Okay, I'll, I'll agree. All right, so E.T. is 10, Double Indemnity is 11, which moves us down to our third tie, which is The, the Sixth, Sixth Sense. Sense and the African Queen. Jockeying for number 18 and 19. <sighs> All right, I know, I have a gut. What's your gut? I believe The Sixth Sense goes above African Queen, and... It's because I believe that the African Queen, while great, while interesting, is not the best version of what was made at the time. No, oh, that's my... Well, okay, you know what? I ranked the African Queen above the Sixth Sense when I made my list, mm-hmm. but we've had this whole conversation, this this podcast, about this arc idea. Mm-hmm. The truth is, there are better Humphrey Bogart movies, there are better Catherine Hepburn movies, and Catherine Hepburn actually has other movies on this list. Right. 
So maybe because of that indifference to like bringing a baby and indifference to Philadelphia story, in, and for the sake of diversity, I will let The Sixth Sense as a horror movie take the slot above it. Woo, nice. All right. We're, we're agreeing. We're agreeing here. All right. Last tie. Last one. So. High Noon and Platoon. I think I have a theory about this. Go All on. right. High Noon and Platoon. They're jockeying for number 21 and number 22. <sighs> to me, I'm having second thoughts about High Noon and the importance that High Noon played. And I did enjoy it. And I think High Noon as a film, fully as a film, is better than Platoon fully as a film. I mean, look, I said I didn't believe that High Noon should be on the list, but I could be definitely coaxed into keeping that on the list. I feel the exact same way. I feel like this list would be just fine without Platoon, period. So the lower we shove it on this list, the happier for me. Okay, then. And and I want to I wanna take a moment to... Just reconsider Bonnie and Clyde with you. I know it's our biggest gap. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize you didn't like Bonnie and Clyde this much. Number 21, dude. You know 21? what? I, I put it, I, I just made the list very individually. I just kept on like moving them around going, oh, what would I like to watch again? What would I like to watch? What was really fun? I really did enjoy it. And that's the thing I was looking at when I was going over this list. I was like, I like all these movies. They were really fun. What did I emotionally connect to? And I was like, I thought there were so many great things in Bonnie and Clyde. Like without a doubt, I'm not, I believe it belongs on the list. It, I think it was lost on me, uh, maybe as someone who is a fan of Quentin Tarantino and, and seen a lot of stuff. I think while great, it just didn't emotionally connect to me. But I I think I put it down too low. Although I totally hear what you're saying. I think that is a lot of in both of our thinking at ranking the French connection so low. Yeah. Is we've just seen so many French connections. It's hard to care exactly. about this French connection. And Ben-Hur is a spectacle movie. And we see spectacle movies now all, all the, the time. All the time. I mean, a it's, French misconnection. I, <laughs> so, Amy, I'm pretty impressed with our lists. And now you can follow along with us at unspooledpod.com. That's mm. where we'll keep this list up for all time. You can see it. And we are also keeping a track of all the movies we believe that should be on the list. And uh, we want to make sure that you all keep a list of the movies that you think are going to be off the list. We'll figure out some way to kind of put that all together. Not Today is not the time. <laughs> now, Amy, before we embark on our next 25 films, let's, for posterity, count down our top 25 on the API poll. Are you ready? I'm ready. And let's do it from the top down this time. So okay, So we can great. really see the whole range. Okay. So we both still agreed. We both still agreed this was unanimous, right? Yes. Citizen Kane number one. Citizen Kane number one. Wizard of Oz number two. 2001 number three. All About Eve number four. Singing in the Rain number five. Number six, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Titanic number seven. Number eight, King Kong. Psycho number nine. Number 10. E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Number 11, Double Indemnity. Number 12, Duck Soup. Number 13, Taxi Driver. Number 14, Body and Clyde. Number 15, Fellowship of the Ring. Number 16, The General. Number 17, Apocalypse Now. Number 18, The Sixth Sense. Number 19, African Queen. Number 20, Swing Time. Number 21, High Noon. Number 22, Platoon. Number 23, Shawshank Redemption. Number 24, Ben-Hur. Number 25, The French Connection. Um, This has been amazing. I feel smarter getting to sit across from you every single week, Amy. And I'm so excited to get into our next 25 films. And if you want to know what we're watching next, here we go. All right, Paul. Well, what will be our 26th film? Oh, wow. All right, let's figure this out. Let's figure this out. Run into the Sharpie. Stop it. 20, 26. Wait a second. Our, <laughs> our 26th film is the 20th. This die is cursed. It's a devil's die. All right. Our 26th film is, uh, oh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's oh. the 26th on the AFI list. Mr. Oh, Smith. Well, our die really is cursed. Whoa. I just feel like we watched The Ring. Something is out to get us. This is not good. I think I think we need to have our lovely seance expert come back in here and exercise this die. I'm telling you, I'm I, really freaked out. This is all because of 2001. Well, I'm very excited. It's a it's a it's a week after the elections when this will be coming out, so this will be a timely episode. So for next week, we have uh, something fun for you to do. Uh, the end of Mr. Smith goes to Washington really revolves around this. Uh, stump speech that Jimmy Stewart makes. You know, he just keeps on talking and talking and talking. And we want you to call in in your best Jimmy Stewart voice and tell us why you think that Jimmy Stewart is one of the best actors we've ever had. Uh, It doesn't matter if you believe it. It just matters that you're passionate about it and you do it 
in a Jimmy Stewart voice. <laughs> well, if you don't believe it, maybe by the time we get to our 100th film, you will, because we're going to see Jimmy Stewart so much. We are indeed. And the number to call is... 747-666-5824. That's 747-666-5824. We cannot wait to hear your stump speech about why Jimmy Stewart is the best living actor in your Jimmy Stewart voices. Wait, living actor? What do you know that I don't? Shh. <laughs> And make sure you follow us at unspooledpod.com. Make sure you rate and review us on the iTunes. That always helps. If you want to follow along watching movies or get in the conversation, you can do it in a couple of different ways. You can do it on Twitter. You can do it on our Facebook listener group. Or you can just uh, jump in on our Earwolf message boards. Any of those ways are great ways to kind of keep the conversation going about the movie we just talked about and about next week's movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah, and Jimmy Stewart, if you are alive, as Paul says, feel free to talk to us. I want to hear whatever you have to say. I think I can maybe book him to be a guest. I'm just saying. We'll see if he's open to it. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, Amy. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season 3 has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, Season 3 is a great jumping on point, and we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Fake nuts. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Ah, uh, yes. I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Jesus! I mean, Jazos! (laughs) Ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season 3 of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.